When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the Stuart Say podcast. I'm Dave Hendon and delighted to be joined this week by one of Scotland's professionals, Scott Donaldson. We'll get it out of the way right from the start, Scott, because I always say this, I don't annoy you. You're not related to Walter Donaldson. Uh, no, I'm not. And every time I watch a game back, I hear you mentioning the exact same fact over and over again. No relation. I, I promise never to mention it again. Um, you're from a kind of, well, Britain is a snooker country, but Scotland certainly um, in, the, in the sort of, after the emergence of Stephen Hendry in the 90s was very much a snooker country. So how did you find snooker? How did you get into it? Uh, I think just like most players just watch on the t- television. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of coverage in the early 90s. Um, well, I was born in 94, so it had been about maybe late 90s, early 2000s when I was kind of starting to watch it. And that's when likes of Hendry and Higgins were, were always on the telly. And, and, and to be honest with you, it probably wasn't the players that originally got into it. I just liked the colour balls and the green cloth. It just looked appealing to my eyes. But but when I obviously got to like 10, 11, I seen that there was a lot of, a lot of the Scottish players dominating the game. And, um, you know, I used to go in down to the, the some of the Premier League things down in Stirling. I used to watch Stephen practising in Stirling quite a lot. Um, and it started from there, really. But there's no doubt that the that the, the Scottish players sort of, yeah, did, a, did a influence my decision to play snooker. So when you started, did you start straight on a full-size table? Because quite a few people sort of start on the, on the six-foot tables. Yeah, no, I definitely started on one of the smaller ones. You know, the one you can buy. I think my dad bought it for Christmas. Yeah. Um, so started small. Then I went to the local club and I thought I was okay. You know, my dad said he thought it was quite good. He said I was better than him when he was younger. So I just kind of continued it from there on. It was just it was just something that you did as a hobby. And then you just kind of get better and better as, as, you, as you get on. And and then, and you don't really know how long you're going to be playing. You can You can take it as far as you can and, you know, some people it works for, some people it doesn't. Did you play other sports, or was or did snooker become kind of the main one? Yeah, I, I, I didn't play sport at the level I played snooker at. Um, I, I played a bit of table tennis. I was quite good at that, but I don't think I'd ever, I don't think I'd ever done anything at it. Uh, mm. But no, nah, snooker was the main one for me. And so you would have played in, in the Scottish junior tournaments um, again. It's part of the country that has already has a structure. Um, so, were you able to sort of start playing tournaments quite quite quickly? Uh, yeah, as far as I can remember, I used to play in the under fourteens and um, under sixteens. Um, I think there was a bit of a fallout with the associations at the time I was growing up, which obviously 
it wasn't amazing, but it didn't really it didn't really affect me as a player. It affected me and my parents and whatnot. So, um, but I there was a lot of tournaments growing up, and it was good because I, even though the standard probably wasn't as high as like so when Higgins and, and and all that were coming through with the with the amateur game was bigger back then. But there was still a lot of really good juniors back then, um, and a couple of them are still playing today. And at what age did you start to think I'm actually a good at this, maybe better than some of the other kids playing? And did you start to see it as a as a career in the future, or was it just something you enjoyed doing? Uh, I think, I, I mean, I I wasn't dominant in the under sixteens or anything like that, so it wasn't probably until I was maybe seventeen that I, that I improved quite dramatically from from around about seventeen year old and. Mm. Um, I was then kind of beating good amateurs and then, you know, I was kind of holding my own against some of the pros that were falling off the tour. Um, so it was probably around about my late teens and, and around about that time where I sort of kind of realised that I might be able to do something. But then you go down to the Q school and there's that many players and you don't get through, you kind of think maybe it's not because you you can't judge yourself on, on how good you are when you're in your own club and when you're on, you need to be in different conditions that you're uncomfortable with. Um, but yeah, it, it's a hard one to put a, a number on, but I'd, I'd probably say about 18, I thought I might have a chance. Well, that's because that's around the time you won the uh, the European Amateur title, yeah. um, which was a, a massive deal for you, obviously. It was, yeah. But the thing is, I won it in the June of 2012, but in the March, I lost in the semi-finals of the European Under-21s. And that was kind of a tournament where I thought I might, I might do okay in because I, there's a lot of players about my age um, that were doing well. I got to the semis and I lost to Shane Castle. I don't know if you remember mm. Shane Castle. Um, and by the way, he was awesome. A 14 year old, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then I, I went to the Q school um, just before I won the European. I didn't get through. And as far as I was concerned, I probably thought it's probably not for me. I'll go to the European Championships, see how I get on. And I think playing against the older guys probably helped my game more like I was getting potted off the table against the young guys on the 21s so I think it was probably a blessing in disguise that I went through that and then I won the Europeans just funny how it works mm. and that got you on the tour right it did yeah. yeah so what was that like because what you say you've had the disappointment of Q school and then suddenly there you are you're going to turn pro you know yeah I know I remember my first year it was just it was just obviously because any I think any first pro they're just trying to get their bearings of of what of what they need to do first of all, what they need to sort of organise themselves with because it's not just about playing snooker. You need to organise your life. You need to organise your whatever booking hotels and there's so many things that you don't think about. And then obviously the playing aspect of it is is hard because you're playing against top top players, and it was it was hard. I I, I didn't I didn't I didn't really enjoy my first season because you're never really sure what it's all about um, but the second season I really I really enjoyed it a lot more and um, I've always been a kind of a hard worker I think of things te- technically wise and I think that kind of helped me I've always been like that really. I'm interested in that first year I think it has changed a little bit now because I think they have sort of inductions but on day one of your first tournament what, what do you do you just turn up and you're just sort of you don't know, you don't know where you are does anyone kind of no, it, it, it was a I remember it was in Gloucester. It was, mm. it was a PTC because um, because the the ranking event format um, was still the old system. 
it yeah. was only my second year that the new system came in, and um, which I actually don't mind. But in Gloucester, it was the PTC format. I remember I played Liam Highfield. I think it was Liam Highfield I played. Maybe you can look that up. Um, and I won that match. So that gave me a lot of confidence. But then I played Marco Fu, and he just kind of schooled me completely. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, he wasn't, in my eyes at the time, a top player because he wasn't winning a lot of tournaments. But then you see guys like Marco Fu, who's only won, what is it, three or four ranking events. You see how good they are. And then you see, remember, this is actually harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah. And at that point, I think you said you enjoyed your second year. Did, did you see this as almost, okay, I've given it a go, it might not, might not work out? Or did you feel yourself improving and maybe getting used to the fact that, okay, the standard is high and I've got to really work hard if I'm going to compete? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, like I said earlier, I've always kind of tinkered technically-wise and I found a few things that helped me and I sort of used them in matches and, and it's probably more mentally than technically really, but I don't know really. It's it's a hard one because, yeah, you're obviously going to enjoy it more when you're winning. That's the natural part of everything, but I think I just maybe got used to the way the game was played. Maybe it was played differently, I'm not sure, but... Um, I don't know. It's just it's just tough snooker because you, no matter how much you practice, it never really seems to 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 equate to results because you know it's, you've got to be in a good mental state. You've got to think of different things, but yeah, definitely the second year was was kind of an easier year for me. I don't know why. It just seemed to be like that. Can you think of any specific kind of results that made you feel actually maybe turn the corner, or maybe I can actually compete with these guys? Not really, Dave. I'm not really one of these ones that kind of like if I, if I play a match and someone says, "How did you play?" Mm. I say, "Good," or I say, "Not very good." I, I don't think of specific games or specific shots that I've played. Some guys come off and say, oh, "Did you see that shot?" I, honestly, I can't remember some of the shots that I've played. Mm. But um, no, I, I can't think of a match. There probably was, but it's gone out of my memory so fast. Um, but I know I had I had a lot of good results in China in the second year, mm. and. Um, that obviously helped in the travel aspect of it, getting used to that. So, yeah. I can ask about that, actually. Obviously, at the moment, we, we don't have those events. But what was that like? Suddenly, you're effectively travelling the world. It, it sounds glamorous, but, I mean, I, I went on a couple of the early trips. It's not at all, is it? I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, lot of, it's a lot of functional travel, airports, yeah. uh, you know, and, and going airport to the hotel, jet lagged and all that all that stuff. Did, did you suffer on the jet lag? And how did you find sort of travelling in general? Uh between you and me, I, I thought it was, I, I didn't like China. I, and I still don't like China. Uh, I got food poisoning the first time I was there. Um, <laughs> so that kind of put a, put a bad act on it already. Um, it's just not what you think it's going to be. You think, you know, we get this sort of um, propaganda in, in, in the UK where it's all these lovely kind of rivers and these buildings with this, the shapes on them. It's just not like that. It's just, it's a, it's a different culture. I, I'm not going to it's bad it's, it's, it's a different culture and you need to get used to it and to, to go there and play a best of seven you might lose on the black to then have that journey home mm. is um, it's something you need to experience I can't really give you a description of it you need to experience it to, to know what it feels like yeah I always feel like when you talk to players about coming coming back from China obviously like you say you know you've gone a long way you might have lost first round that's when you realise how mentally demanding 
the profession is because it is a profession being a snooker player at the professional level. How how are you sort of with dealing with defeats and dealing with the the, the, the disappointments? Um, I'm a lot better than I used to be. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons. My personal life's good now, and but back then, you know, you think when you're growing up, snooker is everything, and and. <laughs> You lose some matches. You just you, you just can't think of anything worse. Try you know on the play and even just waiting at the airport for four or five hours overnight. It's just there's just so many things going, so many shots that you re- replay over your head, and you think, why did I miss that? Did I miss it on the on the side that I normally miss it? And it just aye, two seconds. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, but it's it's one of those ones. Like I said, you can't you can't. You can't think of it's going to be that bad. It's just a game of snooker, but it can it can really mentally um, frustrate you. No doubt about it. Yeah, and and like I say, it's actually it's not just a game of snooker because you're playing for your living. Um, yeah. You know, there's certain matches you have to win to, to, to win any money. I was going to ask you about um, playing on TV. Do you remember your first sort of TV match? Yeah. Um, I know I played. Um, I played, I think I played Selby in China at one of the Asian PTCs. But in the UK, I know I played O'Sullivan. I played O'Sullivan in the in the PTC finals in Preston. And um, just the, the whole atmosphere and the pressure involved of even just walking out with Ronnie and, and just the way he plays, it was just, yeah, it was just too much for me, I think. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's a different thing. Yeah. Mm. But after a few years, four or five years, you started actually you know, going going deep in a few tournaments, you got to the semis in Wales, twenty seventeen. Yeah. So suddenly you're kind of it's not because the thing with I mean it's changed a little bit because they're qualifying now, but the original home nations, you get there day one, it's an absolute cast of thousands. Obviously the crowd the, the, the field thins down. You're suddenly there on the Saturday. There's only four players left. Did you start to think, well, you know, why shouldn't I win this? Definitely. I I know I'm Obviously, I'm in the practice room, and you've got Willie Thorne talking to to the Welshman, and um, you're thinking, "Am I actually the one that's playing here?" Because I'm always <laughs> used to watch this on the TV, and Willie Thorne's in the commentary or in the punditry in the studio, and, and I actually think, "No, I'm actually not bad at this game. I'm all right." Um, but then, obviously, you go out and you play someone of Judd's caliber, you know. And um, even though I played okay, I, I lost six three. But that, even after that tournament, I thought maybe maybe I actually can do something. If I just keep working on little small things and taking really small steps at a time. And it's only when you kind of reflect on it now that you think that that was maybe the, the kind of event that sort of spurred me on even further. And um, yeah, uh, it was a good time back then. I liked it. Yeah. And also, I guess, you know, the fact that you're there in the semi-final line on TV, if your family can see it, you know, you're not on table six playing anonymously. Mm. You're actually, mm. when you tell people you're a professional stupid player, this is your chance to prove it because they can see it. Yeah, and they can't they can't turn around and say, oh, "I've never heard of him." When you say I've lost to this guy, you know, even though he made three three centuries and a ninety, and they say, "Well, how did you lose to him?" At least when you lose to Judd Trump, they go, "Oh, that's a tough match." <laughs> and um, yeah, but it was just good even playing Judd because I think whenever you play a top player for the first time, you need to let them know that you can play as well. Mm. Um, but it's only over a number of years where I think you can really say that. Whereas the first time they play you, they're probably they're probably thinking you're not very good. But then after, I think it, I think I was I think it was four three down in that match, and that, at that point, I thought I could probably win this tournament because I'm I'm kind of holding my own with him. Yeah, but then I think he made a couple of good breaks to to win six three, and 
But no, I really enjoyed that tournament. And then I, I do like Wales, there's no doubt about it, because I've always done well. Eh? Mm. And you got to a couple of other quarters and semis around, around the sort of next couple of years. And also, 2019, you make your debut at the Crucible. Now, that's sort of the holy grail for snooker players. Um, before we get on to the actual match with Kyron, when you qualified, how did you feel then? Was, was that, like, really exciting? I don't know what I felt because I was 9-4 up and I got paid back to 9-all and I won the decider. Um, I made a 60 break in the last frame and I don't know how because I, one, I couldn't stand up and two, I couldn't, I couldn't even see the balls. Uh, I, I just, yeah, just what this game does to you, I can't honestly, I can't honestly say it, but the um, that qualifying match was, was brutal and um, just to get through it and then even play the crystal was awesome, but yeah, the qualifying was, was tough, really tough. Mm. I mean, I've played in the I've played in the qualifying for about ten years, and I've only got through twice. And every time I've came back, I go up. I can't say I've played really bad, you know, and it, it's just tough. Mm. But when you get to the crucible, you know, and you you put your stuff on, you're in the dressing room, they call you, you're in that corridor, you're about to be introduced. That must have been exciting. Really, 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 really exciting. Yeah. And, it's probably more nerve-wracking than excitement. But then when you go there and you start playing, you win your first frame, it is really enjoyable. You know, obviously I've, I've never won a game at Crystal Ball, but, but to play there is 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 something else because you don't realise how small the venue actually is. You know, you're sitting right next to your opponent. I know it, it looks like that on the television, but it looks even closer when you're there. You know, it's it's, uh, it's some venue, it really is. Had you ever been to watch before? Or was that you literally never, your first there? No, no, never. I, I said I would never go until I've played there. Yeah, but now I might I might go and watch a couple of, a couple of matches if I'm down at the time it's on. And and is it? I mean, it, it, you know, the, the tables always look the same, but the, the arenas are different. Is it actually? Is it harder to play there because it's so tiny? I mean, it's just, you you kind of even the wall is like there's only just about room to actually play. Was was it? Yeah. Did you find it hard to actually sort of play your your own game? Yeah, from what I remember of it, yeah, I definitely did. Um, and I was playing against Karen, who had always had a lot of success there whenever he'd played there. And um, it was just, I think, um, I think I was 3-1 down. I nicked the frame of the black to go 3-1. And that's probably when a lot of relief came because you just don't want to get granted. You don't want to lose 10-0. <laughs> and um, <laughs> once I went 3-1, I was really, really sort of in the zone. And then, you know, even though I lost, I still enjoyed it. Mm. And then the following year, there's been so many championship leagues recently that uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of them. But you won one of them, um, invitation uh, version. Yeah. Um, it was a bit of a roller coaster, Scott, wasn't it? Let's be honest, in Leicester, because it was you, you, you had a sudden, well, I don't know whether it was an allergic reaction or something. You were taken ill during mm. during the, yeah. the initial group phase. Yeah, it was a weird one. I was I think I was playing Graham in the final of one of the groups, and um, I, I was two up. And I think I just played a safety shot. And I just coughed. And then all of a sudden I couldn't I couldn't get any air into my lungs. It was like some there was something stuck in, in the back of my throat and I don't know what it was. So I just tried to cough again as if, you know, it's something normal, but a bit of slime or whatever. And then it sort of made it worse. And I just had to run to the toilet. And Mark Williams, the security guard, came in and goes, You're all right, he goes, I, just, I said, I can't breathe. I, I can't breathe. So then um I think it was maybe thirty seconds where I, I sort of coughing and then in the bathroom sink and then it seemed to be okay after that but then I had to go out for some fresh air for, for a good half an hour because that was weird I don't know I still don't know what happened to this day um, 
just one of those fairly strange occurrences. But you won the title, so it all worked out okay. Yeah, I won at the end, so that was good, <laughs> thankfully. I got told I was going to be disqualified after the second came out to lose the win. Yeah. But Graham, I think Graham sort of said, well, no, you know, we've got to let him. I think Graham said, I mean, he could have claimed them the match, couldn't he? But he said, he no, let him. Yeah, no, Graham's a good guy, one of mm. the best guys on the tour. And no, I'm, I'm pretty sure he said no, though. No. Because you can see that I was, I would, I'm two nil up. If I was two nil down, he could maybe have thought I was trying to play games with him. But, mm. you know, it, it, it's just one of those weird situations, Dave. I mean, I'm not going to pretend the Championship League is, is one of the game's absolute majors, but the, no, fact is you, the fact is you won it and there were a lot of top players in that tournament. Yeah, listen, listen. I um, t- I I didn't ever think I'd, I'd ever win anything at that stage because, mm. you know, I, I'm not a top player and, and to win anything on the Pro Tour is, is awesome. You know, mm. it does come a lot of bonuses, champion champions and, and obviously with the, the financial aspect uh, as well. But, you know, just to win something, just to say I've won something, not everyone can actually say that. The vast, vast majority of players who even A, pick up the game and B, turn pro, they don't win anything because it's just so hard. It's nothing to say they've they've not tried their best. It's just so hard. The, the, the standard's so high. And just to say I've won something is, um, is, is, is obviously a good thing. But what you also did there, this was last year, the same tournament, that fluke. We've got to talk about that. People will have seen it. <laughs> we went viral. I mean... Uh, oh. Know, Do talk was, us through it, Scott. <laughs> can I? Can you? I don't know. You seen it? I didn't. I didn't see it at the time. Um, yeah, so I, I played the red at the black pocket. Tried to develop some reds. I've ended up missing the pot because I was looking at the positional aspect of the shot. And uh, now that I've split the reds open, all I can see is what I've left Graham. And then I just heard a, I heard a pocket rustling as if a ball had went in the pocket. And I'm just standing there thinking, I'm sure that came from the middle pack. And then I just see Rob Spencer just laughing. <laughs> and uh, I'm there, Rob. He goes, it's went up the table on the cushion, bounced along the, the rail, went over the middle pocket, hit the knuckle and swerved round the blue in the other middle. And I was like, no, no I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and great, But the, the funny thing is with that fluke, when it happened, the first thing that I heard was Graham said, and it counts. That's all he was interested <laughs> in. You know what Graham's like? Yeah. He said, and it counts. Because yeah. he... He's never happy, but it's just funny. Yeah. I think it proves so, and this is kind of touching on, again, the, the mental side of, of snooker. It's a real... Ro- even at one frame can be a roller coaster. Your emotions change so much. We've seen players, obviously, they'll miss, go back to their seat, utterly dejected, expecting to be punished, but then their opponent misses. So suddenly, you've got to get back into the right state to then come and hopefully take your chance. Mm. It's, it is a real test, isn't it, of your sort of mental fortitude? That is. Um. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I I don't know if I have the same opinion as everyone else. Just because you're in a good frame of mind doesn't mean you'll play well. Mm. It's it's often some of the best games I've played is when I've been really, I've not even been one to go down to the tournaments. Let alone let alone thinking I'm, I'm going to have a chance of doing something. Um. So snooker's a funny sport because it's it's not like any other sport. You, you know, you could play well and the guy flicks a ball and you don't even you don't even get a chance to reply. You're just sitting down and. And um, but there's no doubt that if if you can feel like you've prepared and done everything you can, and you're in a good mindset, it will definitely give you the best chance most of the time. Um, but yeah, so. is is most of the preparation literally the practice, or have you looked into doing? Some players they talk to psychologists and they do other things, read books or whatever, meditate. Have you ever done any of that, or are you just focused on the actual game? Um, I'm focused on my game when I'm in the club and. 
and sort of working on on shots that I don't like and whatnot. Um, but when I'm not sort of at, like like I'm not a drinker, like I don't really go to the pub and that. And I like a lot of like nature stuff and um, sciencey like stuff. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of good perspectives and thoughts from that stuff. You know what's important. Like at the end of the day, it, it is only a game of snooker. And I go out there without really putting any pressure on myself, and I just I just feel relaxed when I'm playing. Um, so that's kind of what I do in my preparation. Everyone's different. Everyone's got their own. Like Nadal, obviously, you can see how serious he takes it and whatnot. I'm not saying I don't take it seriously. I do take it seriously, but um, it's just it's just a game of snooker, and um, you know it's all going to be forgotten about at some point. So you just need to enjoy it while you're doing it. And what about your relationship with the other players? Because you know, if I go in the players' room, I see groups of players sit, sitting around talking. Some like to keep themselves themselves because you are rivals ultimately, but you spend so much time together, I guess, that you're naturally going to become friendly. And obviously you've got something in common. You're, you're all snooker players. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm quite, um, um, quite a, a, a shy person anyway. So, you know, I'll speak to the Scottish lads, no problem. I get on with a few of the guys, but like so, like, because I'm so far away from everyone else, I'm probably the most northern snooker player in the UK, I think, on the tour at least, mm-hmm. anyway. And um, like, like English guys, I don't really see them very often. So you don't really go and speak to someone that you don't know anyway. Mm. So I'm kind of normally myself and I'll speak to a few of the guys, but it's normally just me and the missus. And I, I actually quite like that. I'm quite, a, mm. I'm quite a, a kind of shy person. I just kind of do my own thing, really. And um, that's not, that's just what I do. That's just, mm. that's just what I enjoy doing, to be honest. As we speak now, you're, I think, 46 in the world. Um, you're in that sort of, middle ranking position where the players ranked there now are a lot better than they used to be for sure, you know, and, and any one of them could break through and, and climb the rankings. Do you have, do you set goals in terms of, you know, we're starting the season? Do you aim for anything specifically or are you just trying to do as well as you can? Oh, hundred percent. Just do as well as you can. Mm-hmm. I don't think because of the system, you know, you, you could win three or four matches in an event and then you could win two in one event and it, it means more. So mm-hmm. I don't really think you can have a goal in this stage and then maybe the top players are different maybe maybe they set their goals on the specific tournaments like the top tournaments or whatnot but as far as it goes with someone did the rankings like myself you just need to go and play and and one enjoy it and two just 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 try and make it hard for your opponents I think that's just all you can do and all anyone can do is just do their best I don't care who you are that's all you can do and in terms of sort of where snooker is are you kind of I mean as I say I know you said you weren't a great fan of China, but those tournaments were lucrative. We haven't got them at the mm-hmm. moment. But in terms of when the calendar came out, you know, were you? I mean, Scott, the Scottish Open is in Edinburgh, which is good news. But in terms of the overall kind of the way snooker is at the moment, are you, as a professional, are you kind of happy with that? Oh, of course. I mean, I'm earning a lot of money at snooker. I'm not going to complain. It, Barry, I think people Barry gets a lot of criticism, but I think he's done an amazing job, honestly. I speak to a lot of the guys and they say the same and he's given us an opportunities. You know, I'm I'm forty six in the world and you know, I'm doing really well for myself. Um and that would never have happened before he came in. Um but I look at the calendar and I know I've heard a lot of people complain about it, but there are I think Ross Nick are just doing their best too. I mean obviously they want China back and, and the players do too. Um, but if they're getting told they can't do it then I don't see what more they can do. Um, as long as we've got maybe eight or nine, ten tournaments, then I think that you can't really complain in this day and age. Mm. Just as we sort of start to wrap up, you've been on the tour now 10 years. What, what would you say are the best things about being a snooker professional? 
as opposed to doing another job? Um, I think that flexibility of your time, you're not, you're not um, sort of controlled by an employer as such. But that's, that's also a curse as well because you've got to have the self-motivation, the, the, the sort of will to go to the club even when the results aren't going well. And I think that's when you find out if you're good enough, if you can really go and put the hours in when you're when you're not feeling like you want to really do it. But that's that's probably the thing I do like about it. You have your flexible time. And like so I was at the Scottish Open Golf yesterday, and if, that was a Thursday afternoon. If I was working for an employer nine to five, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Mm. So just to pick and choose what, what you do and what you don't do is probably the biggest sort of positive I can say. Yeah. And the other side of the coin, what, what what would be the sort of worst thing about being at Snooker Pro? Um, I think maybe just the fact that when you come back from a tour and you lose, people just automatically assume that you've just not practiced and you've not you've not played well. Whereas it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you can put all the work in the world and you lose you lose a match, and you know someone else doesn't do any practice and they play terrible and they win and they people still probably think that they're that you're there practicing more than you or whatever it is. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about being a snooker player, but nobody really finds out until they've played. I think a lot of the guys that watch maybe O'Sullivan played a, a young amateur, they go, oh, he's rubbish. But then they go and play him at Q school and they can't even win a couple of frames against him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about snooker. And I think another thing I would say that's, that's not great is I think the difference between playing snooker and watching snooker is the biggest in any sport. Because obviously any sport you watch, you're always good at it because you always see a good shot. But the difference between playing and watching snooker, the gulf between how hard it is and how easy it looks on TV is just so big. It, it looks so easy. You know, like you play a snooker game on your phone, you can select where you want it in the white, you can select where you want to aim on it, but then you go and play snooker and it's just it's just so off. And, uh, yeah, that's why I was saying. You've been playing snooker, you know, most of your most of your life. But f- final question: I'm always interested in, in, in whether there is an answer to this. If you hadn't have been a snooker player, what do you think you would have gone into? Well, I'm quite a curious person, so I might have done something with like, like astrophysics or something like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know if that would be the case because I've kind of I've kind of just developed that over the years. So maybe it would have taken a different route, but it would have been something like that. I think. Something That's quite like different. That. That's quite different. Yeah, yeah. I, I love all this. I love this. I love the astronomy. I, I do. I really love it. So it really gives me a kind of feet in the ground kind of outlook to life, you know. Brilliant. Well, uh, who knows? In the future, that might be an avenue to go down, Scott. But no, uh, I think, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> we, we, we could say it's not rocket science, although it actually would be. But anyway. It would be, yeah. Would be. <laughs> Listen, thanks a lot for um, for joining me and best of luck for the rest of the season. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Cheers, bud. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.